0: hey good morning so my name is Ernie Harrison I've uh I've been with Thomas for about, about at least six years I know I, my, our daughter was uh was christened there at uh our former church and um so I'm not new here but um unless you're in a life group um it's kind of hard to know uh, individual people here um but through life groups this is where uh, the personal connection happens and uh, I just wanted an opportunity this morning. I had, I had a, a thought a couple of months ago. I told Thomas, hey, there's something I want to say to the church. And uh, he said, well, how about uh, August 28th? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And what that was, I have no idea. I forgot all about it. <laughs> so, it, you know, most of the time you they say you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And I told him what I had planned, and he changed it all. So uh, this morning, I just it, it kind of, this is kind of like a large life group to me. So I just want to kind of tell my story a little bit along with um, – you know, God's Word included in it, um, so you can get to know me. If you're not in my life group, you don't you won't know me. And if, if not in yours, I may not know you. So this is an opportunity just for me to share my story that I uh, hope you can relate to. Um, Thomas says every morning that he's the lead pastor, and I was thinking about this, I'm the lead center. So, um, you know, we can all relate to that. Um, we have this uh, this center in our life, this, this part of us that— um, as Paul says, you know, I, I do things I don't want to do, and I don't do things that I should do. And, and we, we wonder why. You know, why is that part of our life? And, and that's, that's happened from the beginning of, of, of creation. Um, you know, God told Adam and Eve, you know, eat of all things except for the forbidden fruit. Don't touch it, don't eat it. And, and yet they were deceived in, into believing that there was something greater. And if you spell out sin, S-I-N, the center of sin is I. Most of the time when you are found yourself in some type of sin, you are the center of it. You are the reason behind it because of something that you desire, something you want, something you've been deceived into believing to be true. And I have, like the rest of us, I have dealt with this, you know, all my life, and I still deal with it today. Um... Part of my story, growing up, I grew up in a little town called Beargrass. Uh, I Road here, most of you probably know what that is. So, um, I have a little sister who was born when I was, I think, three and a half, four years old. Uh, she is uh, she's paralyzed. She was born with spinal bifida. So up to that point, I was the only child, and then she comes in, and you know, uh, I love her to death. Uh, I do anything in the world for her. But you know how children are uh, when you're the only child, and another one comes in, Especially one with special needs, it takes away from that first child, and uh, I felt neglected. You know, I don't remember a lot of when I was a child in that aspect, but I do know that you know that was part of it. There were people who knew her, I asked about her, when we were out in public, but you know I was ignored, and um, that selfishness started at an early age. Um, my dad uh, became an alcoholic, and I don't know if it was a cause of my sister's issues, but a lot of times it happens in in families who have children with special needs, that the parents end up divorcing, and that happened when I was eight years old. So, I took over the the manly responsibilities of the house, you know, to to, to try to be the, the guardian of the home. I uh, started catheterizing my sister at eight years old, helping out my mom because she couldn't do it all on her own. She was working, you know, started working three jobs to help make ends meet, and um, that that sin. You know, still creeping in. And it's like, what about you? You know, you know what, what about what you want to do? You know, the other kids were out in the neighborhood playing football and doing things. And I was, you know, I was home with my sister, taking care of her. Uh, my, mom was, my, my mom was working. You know, I'd get her up in the mornings at times, help get her dressed, get her something to eat while mom's getting ready. And we'd get on the school bus. At, my mom would drive the school bus, you know, at 5 a.m. And I just, uh, it just didn't feel, you know, at that age, it was fair. Life wasn't fair. When I go to my father's with my sister, you know, he would um, he would be over with his friends, enjoying um, that time, you know, uh, indulging you know himself in alcohol and that kind of thing. He'd come home drunk, but while he was gone, I'm taking care of my sister, and then my grandmother as well. She didn't have a driver's license, and so (laughs) I would take care of her as well. That was his mom. He lived with my mother. Her mom, uh, she ended up going. uh, She had glaucoma, ended up going blind diabetes and all, so I would ride over to her house on the 4 and uh, I'd help get her insulin together in the mornings, and afternoons, whenever it was, I'd get her, there's two bags, one for the morning, one for the evening, and I'd get them ready for her, and I'd label them, because she couldn't see, she would feel one dot for the morning and two dots, you know, for the evenings, and, and I, I, I did it out of love, but the steel is such a, such a pain ah. for a child to grow up so fast. And uh, I, I didn't – I wasn't an athletic kid, uh, not until later, you know, in high school years. But I, I indulged myself when I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I'd eat what I wanted to eat, right? So I would, you know, anything chocolate, anything sweet, man, I would just indulge. I would go to the – I remember the Swans man would come to the house, and we would get those, um, uh, those frozen cookies, cookie dough, you know. And I would go and sneak in there when I was feeling down, and I would just make myself sick eating those things. Uh, my grandmother, you know, in my dad's house, and she would have sweets just, you know, she would cook good meals, but, man, I would indulge myself in those Reese cups and those other things, you know. And I was I was a chubby kid. I was, you know, a fat kid. And I got picked on, and I got picked on a lot. And, uh, and that hurt, too. So at 14, 15 years of age, man, I'd, I've got the whole world on my shoulders. And I'm sitting outside, and I hear, you know, this one, Part of me, which I, I still call it the fat man inside of me, saying, uh, "You know, what, you, what good are you? You know, what what are you? I mean, the world would be better off without you." And I was contemplating suicide because I said, "I'm I've had enough," you know. And then, you know, I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in silence. You know, I'm outside. I'm sitting outside, and I hear a, another voice, but this one is more distinct. And this one says, "You know." give me your burdens. It's not your job to carry all this. <clears throat> and, uh, I knew that was of God, but I didn't, I didn't know the Bible. I mean, I had been to, to Sunday school and that kind of thing, but these things I didn't know. So I, I called my youth pastor and told him, you know, how I was feeling what I'd heard. So he brought me in and he kind of explained the gospel to me and he, he went to, to Matthew and, um, In Matthew 12, Matthew 11, I'm sorry, this is not a part of the scriptures I gave Thomas, but in Matthew 11, the last, uh, at the very end there, in chapter 28, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light, and that was the first time that I had really i had heard from the Holy Spirit, and I gave my life to Christ. I was baptized soon after, and um, I just that burden was lifted. It's it, it, it still it's still there, but only when I when I carried the load myself. But God was there and and spoke to me and and took that load uh, off my shoulders. And gave me some freedom. Um, it helped me to, to start reading the Bible and to realize that <clears throat> it's not about me. Uh, Rick Warren has a famous book out called The Purpose Driven Life. And one of my favorite books, secondary to the Bible, and it's this first line that it says in that book it's not about you. And when we change our perspective and we realize that. This life isn't about us. We didn't. We didn't create ourselves. Um, God created us. Um, it, it, life is no joy when it's all about you. When it's when you indulge in that sinful nature. When you all about I. Um, how many people do you know, or have you seen celebrities who are indulging in everything that there is? If they would just read Ecclesiastes, is there was, there was King King Solomon he is one who was the wisest of all men. And uh, he said, "I lived. He, he, if you go to, well, most times they tell you wait till you're about 40 years old to read it, you'll understand it better." But um, he indulged himself in everything. Uh, he built great gardens. He built great buildings. He married. I think he was married to 700 women, and he had 300 concubines. So I mean, he said, "I indulged myself in all areas, but nothing, nothing satisfied him." And the only thing that satisfied him in the end was doing his work and being grateful for what he was doing and and loving God. And so we're talking about spiritual warfare, and uh, it's in Ephesians Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. (sighs) My glasses back on. So it talks about the armor of God, but it says the final word, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. For on all, Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm and not fight against the, fl- not, excuse me, stand firm against all strategies of the devil. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And uh, it wasn't until I uh, I joined the military that this came to light for me. Um, as an infantryman uh, going overseas, uh, one of the things that we used was night vision goggles. And you go out at nighttime into a, a military zone in the middle of the desert with nothing on, I mean, it's just pitch black. There's nothing unless the moon is out. You can't see anything. And you can't fight an enemy like that. I mean, there's no way. You can't see what's going on. And, uh, but when you put those night vision goggles on and you cut them on, everything is clear. You can see what's going on around you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us when we accept Christ into our life. The Holy Spirit comes in. and it, it turns on a new, uh, a new spirit within us. There's a spiritual realm out there, and we live in this darkness. We're born into it. And until we put the Holy Spirit on, until we get the Holy Spirit inside us, until we accept Christ, we live in that darkness. When we receive the Holy Spirit, it's like the night vision goggles come on, and we have new eyes to see things that we wouldn't see before. And we have new ears to hear things that we didn't hear before. And uh, it helps us in that battle, that spiritual battle that we're fighting. Um, <clears throat> so while I was I joined the army after 9-11 and uh, I signed up because I wanted to be uh, I wanted to fight that's 9-11 I had just graduated college and I signed up to be an airborne ranger and uh, I told myself I said if I can accomplish this then I'll be somebody right um, I'll, I'll get rid of these negative thoughts in my mind, you know, and I'll, I'll have a little more pride in myself and that kind of thing. And uh, when, I, uh, when I got there uh, to the Ranger Regiment, it's uh, a training program prior to called Pre-Ranger, and uh, I'm the only ball guy in the whole crowd. And, uh, which y'all, you know, as a young man, you already have, I was 24 years old, so I already have a self-image issue because I'm the only ball guy there. And uh, I go to the, uh, I go to leave one weekend, and my insurance had expired on my vehicle. So I go to the first sergeant in charge, and I say, hey, uh, you know, I, I need my keys. And uh, he said, well, you need to get your insurance renewed, and I had the information faxed. And he threw me in my keys, and he said, hey, where's where your hair? <laughs> and I said, well, hey, good question. And I said, well, I can't control, you know, but regulations state that, you know, you can be bald. So I you know, shaved my head. And uh, he said, "Well, not in my unit. He said, in my unit, you got to have a high and tight ranger cut, and that means that you, know, you put your hand up here, and everything else is shaved. But everybody has to look dress right, dress." He said, "You stick out, and that's a problem." So, you know, that's you know, that that, that, that devastated me. But I took it. and I said, "Okay, you know, maybe this is. You know, I'm not going to quit." So this was Friday. Monday comes around. He comes to formation. Looking at me, you know, we're all in formation. He said, ah, there's Harrison. You got any hair yet, son? No, sir. Everybody just starts doing push-ups. And uh, he just uh, wears us out doing push-ups, flutter kicks, all kinds of stuff. He said, we'll do this every day until Harrison has hair. And uh, I can't grow hair here. You know, I grew everywhere else. I look like a clown. But uh, anyway, so all my friends just, you know, uh, stopped hanging out with me. They, uh, I didn't have many at the time anyway because I was older. I already had a college degree. You know, these guys were 18, 19 years old, so we didn't have much in common. And it broke my spirit. It really did. And uh, the last day of training, um, I was just to the point where I could take any more. And uh, they asked, you know, this is your time anybody wanting to leave? and I had just felt that it was where I needed to be, where God had put me, or maybe it was just I was broken and I and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I don't want to be here anymore. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> it's heartbreaking for me to leave, especially to quit. But uh, anyway, I got sent to 82nd Airborne. Won't there not there very long, and we got orders to go to Iraq. So I, I didn't know my guys very well, but um, we're there. First week, you know, IED goes off. One guy's you know, killed instantly, another guy's leg blown off. Um, my team leader gets hurt, not in this incident, but he, he, you know, he gets a hernia, and I got to take over team leader. Well, he's, you know, he's 21 years old, but he's already been in Afghanistan, got his Ranger and all that, and I'm just coming into the unit brand new. Been in three months. So I get put in charge of these three guys. We've already had two guys, one guy killed, one guy wounded. And, uh, man, I'm talking about pressure, pressure. You, you, you don't know how... I don't know how how close you become to God until you're in that situation where your life is, you know, in jeopardy any second or any time of day you're waiting for somebody to shoot you or blow you up, and then you got responsibility of other people. And uh, my team leader, after he healed up and came back, you know, I relinquished the reins to him, and, uh, you know, I was thankful for that. But we went on a mission, came back, and— I went into the, the the EOC or whatever it's called, the operations center, and wrote an email. They just got computers up. Hey, everybody, I'm good. I'm you know I can't tell you where I'm at, but I mean, I'm mean, i good. Everything's fine. It's in the desert. You got lights like this. You walk outside, there's no light. You know because you don't, you can't want everybody to see you. You know, even the dimmest light you can see from a distance. You know, somewhere is total darkness. So I walk out and I'm trying to get my trying to get my eyesight. You know to um, regulated and i walk out and i feel a humvee so okay i walk down a humvee and we'll try to find the, the the road to get back to to the barracks and we're on this abandoned uh uh former pow base or whatever and there's these these wells. i don't know what they were for cisterns or something other but it was like 10 foot wide by 10 foot deep by 10 foot you know long cinder blocks and in the bottom of it saw bricks and everything traffic but thrown in there and well they didn't secure it very well. They had engineer tape about knee high, and I went walking and slipped and went headfirst into this hole, and landed right on my head and knocked me unconscious. I came to. This is like two, three in the morning. Nobody's around. It's just me. There's a huge generator beside of me. I try to move. I can't. Can't move my fingers. Can't move my toes. And man, all I can do. I remember Rick Warren's book, and one of the. Great quotes in there. It says, You'll never know God is all you need until God's all you got. So he told me about crying out to God. Man, I was like, I got a sister home paralyzed. You know, my mom's taking care of her. I cannot go home like this. I cannot be, cannot go home paralyzed. I can't. I said, I Really? You know, take me or heal me. I'd rather you heal me because I really don't want to die like this. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather die in combat and with some honor than to die, you know, in a hole. And um, I went unconscious. And I don't know how long I was out, but when I came to, um, first thing I did, with my fingers and my toes, you know, praising Jesus, thanking him. And, uh, but I don't remember. I, I just, it's all the days I went out again, and uh, when I came to, I was rolling out of the top of this hole, 10 foot deep, you know, and I couldn't move. And there was nobody there to help me. And guys of this day, I give God the glory for it, because I couldn't do it myself, and there was nobody there to help me. When I rolled out, I looked over and I saw, uh, uh, well, heard a door and it was a, happened to be a medic. When I holler for help, he came over. They packaged me up, took me to the nearest animal hospital they could find, <laughs> if <that's laughs> I said what it was. But uh, I didn't have any broken bones. Uh, I had some nerve damage in my neck and my back. I had six staples put into my head. And uh, another embarrassing moment in my life, right? Two weeks prior to that, um, I had an incident with my squad leader. He had put out a direct order to me and my guys and I was when I was the team leader and I, I disobeyed it. And uh just because I didn't feel like it was right. What he told us to you know, what happened was it's cold there and, and the first thing in the mornings we went on missions, we would have these things called ninja suits. They were the under these thermal underwear we put on. He told us not to put it on. said uh, it would jeopardize us. But he was sitting in the front seat in the heat, and we were in the back freezing to death. So I told my guys to put it on when we got there and secure the location. We would get Bravo team to pull security. We take it off. Well, during that in, during that time of changing, he came in and saw what was going on, and then he, when we got back, he put all he must put all our gear back on and went out to 100 degree, 130 degree weather and smoked us until you know um, <clears throat> we were dog tired. And uh, I was reading my Bible and I was praying to God. You know, humble me. Please humble me. I don't I don't want to do anything to get anybody killed. So two weeks later, I was humbled. Um I, I tell you that because, you know, humble yourself. <laughs> don't ask God to do it because he definitely will and uh, be no doubt. Um, but uh, but in that, you know, as, as years have gone by, I've told that story many times, and, you know, I am still have some issues with my back and my neck and head at times. My wife will tell you. Um, By that one. But um, I look back on it now, though, and uh, if I had made it into the Rangers, you know, I may have, well, who knows, I may have been killed. But because I went to 82nd and I fell in that hole, and because I was bald, I shaved my head every two days, and that scar and indention is always there. And it's always a reminder to me of what God did for me. I cried out to Him, and He saved my life and gave me a second chance, and um, talk about the spiritual warfare aspect of that, is that in life, what Satan intends to cause you harm, he comes to steal, and kill, and destroy, right, what the Bible says he does, he's like a roaring lion, seeing he can devour, and I was one that he was devouring, you know, self-esteem wise, at the bottom, you know, I mean, guys, when I was hurt, the guys there, they were still going out on missions, and they were like, you know, you're... You're worthless to us, you know. What can you do for us? And why are you still here? Why don't you go home, you know. But I, I worked my butt off for of 30 days, and I went back on the front lines of those guys after 30 days, it hurt or not, you know, because I did not, I just couldn't, I couldn't take it. And I couldn't leave and go home like that anyway. So, um, but, so Satan does that, you know, and beats you down. But what God does in return, though, if you, if you, if you listen You have to spend time in the Word. If you're not in the Word, and you don't have those night vision goggles on, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not going to hear what God's saying to you in that spiritual warfare. All you're going to hear is one side. And that one side is going to give you all the negative. It's going to beat you down. It's going to put you at your lowest place in life. And in that aspect, you're going to do whatever makes you feel good in that moment, whether it's sex. Whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, because the center of sin is I, right? And it makes you, it makes you selfish. It makes you greedy to satisfy that flesh. But only with the Holy Spirit does that change. And God says it's not about you anymore. It's about Christ. You change your perspective. You change the way you think. Proverbs says um, it's in the New King James Version. It's not it maybe not written in your Bible this way, but it says that as a man thinketh, so is he. You gotta be careful what you think about. You know, if if you're thinking negative thoughts, if you're thinking angry thoughts, if you're thinking lustful thoughts, what do you think is gonna happen? The flesh is gonna go with it, right? So we have to be in the Word. We have to be in it daily. Because it's food, Jesus says, this is my body, eat of it. He says, Jesus is the word. We have to be in the eating of it because, you know, if you only eat once a, once a week on Sundays, you're going to starve to death by the time Sunday comes back around, right? You eat daily. You eat three times a day a lot of times, if not more or, or less, but at least once a day. And that's what helps me is being in every morning. And I read something of the day, it said, when you're not in the word, one day God notices. In two days, you notice. In three days, everyone notices, and that's been so true in my life, and uh, especially, uh, even here recently. Um, you know, I, I called Thomas the other day, and I said, look, I don't know if I should preach or not on Sunday. Um, I had an incident that uh, at work with a supervisor, uh, something that I was angry about. Um, that's not important by what it is, but anyway, I let my temper get the best of me. And when I saw her, we had words, and I raised my voice, and I said things that I shouldn't have said. And I got so angry that I hit the desk. And that's why I haven't shaken hands today, because I don't know if my finger's broken or what, because I've hurt my hand in every aspect. But I let my anger get the best of me. And then, you know, now I'm I'm on suspension from work. So Satan attacked me hard, that spiritual warfare, because he knew I was going to speak today. You know, and, and the flesh, and the spirit, what's yeah? You know, the flesh tells you. The devil says, "Hey, you're not worthy. You don't need to be up there. You know, you, you let your anger go. You don't, that's not spiritual. That's not Christian. You know what? But then God said, <laughs> you know, that's what I came for. I came for everybody who was who was sick and needed a doctor. I didn't come for those who are who think they're well, right? That's why we come here. That's why we, that's why we come to church. That's why we join small groups. That's why, you know, we seek God and we all suffer. We all suffer from the spiritual warfare. And the mind, it talks about the helmet of salvation, the mind is where it all starts. And if we're not in the word, if we're not in small groups, if we don't have Christian brothers and sisters to talk to, then our mind is going to go with the flesh. Think of it as being on a, on a river. A river flows one way. It don't flow two ways, it flows one way. And you're on a raft, you're gonna go wherever that river takes you. Well, in this Christian life, you know, we're in a kayak and we're paddling upstream every day. It's not it, you just don't come in and accept Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and get baptized and woo, I'm done, I'm good. That's not how it works. It is it is a battle every day. Um and um So today, I just wanted to come and share a little bit of my story with you on that aspect and and how, you know, um, I know that you're all struggling with that. And this is the the place to come. Small groups are the place to be. I know the men's group, we share a lot. And that's what a problem I had growing up. Because my father left. There wasn't any other men in the neighborhood who, or even in church, who came in and mentioned and said about their flaws and failures and what they did to to get over it? Everybody acted, put on this, this facade. Everything's okay. We're good. Like Jesus said, "They were whitewashed tombs, right?" But inside, they were dead bones. You have to. That's why Jesus has to confess. We have to tell to each other. We have to confess our sins to God, so that we can be healed. As a paramedic in the county, if you don't call me when your ankle's broken, I can't help you. You know, if you have a heart attack and you having chest pain, if you don't call me can't help you and that's what God's telling us every day hey you got to come to me you got to talk to me you can't never you you can never be righteous enough there's nothing you can do that's going to be good enough because Satan's always going to tell you you're never good enough God says it doesn't it's not about you it's not about what you can do it's what's already been done so Jesus Christ came right he came in our place we sinned and and when we sin there's punishment there's death Christ came and said, I don't want you to, to suffer for your sin. I'm coming and dying in your place. All you have to do is accept that. And um, Anyway, um, that leads into time of communion when he was talking about Christ. And there's a story I heard a long time ago, but it's very prevalent. Or For today, it has a lot of meaning to it. Um, there's a story about a, a worldwide pandemic, and <clears throat> there was no cure. There was no vaccine. There was nothing. And people were dying by the millions, right? And they found this one blood type that they said could p- potentially, you know, help. And it's just. Family went and they found out that the son, four-year-old son, had the blood type, and it was a cure. It was a cure-all, and everybody was so excited. And the doctors told the father, "said, you know, we need we need his blood," and the father said, "Sure, great, we found it." Said, "How much?" And they said, "All of it." You know, all of it. And that's what God did for us. He gave us all of his blood. He gave us his life for the forgiveness of our sins, for the cure of death, and for eternal life. And uh, I want to take this time, you know, and uh, and pray for communion. And uh, just thank Thomas for the the opportunity to come and speak. All right. Almighty God, Lord, thank you so much for this day, for this time, for this church, for the the body that's here, Lord. they've had a great impact on my life. I thank you for their encouragement. I thank you for the times that I have been in need, that I have been under spiritual attack, Lord, where I've had uh, the brothers and sisters here who've reached out and who've always been there. Um, thank you for them. Thank you for most of all for your son, Jesus, and for, for your Holy Spirit, uh, for what you've given me, Lord, and the encouragement that you give me, and most of all for the faith I have in you um, for eternal life, Lord, and forgiveness and the, the grace that you give. Now, Lord, just now I ask you to bless... This cup uh, and this juice, Lord, and um, all, through, all those who partake it, let them think on uh, the sin in their life, Father, uh, the times that I have been. it's this center of sin is I, Lord, where the flesh has, has overtaken them this past week or any time in their life, Lord. Let them confess that to you just now and let them know that through your blood and your sacrifice uh, and through this cup, Lord, that you are they're forgiven. And uh, I pray all this, Father, in your Son, Christ's name, amen.